Good morning again. If you have your Bibles with you, please open to Ezra chapter 9. We be looking, we'll be looking at verses 3 through 5. And as you're turning there, a man, after a long time of putting it off, finally went to his doctor. And after the examination and all of the tests and the blood work, the doctor came back in the room just kind of shaking his head. And he told the man, you're in terrible shape. In order to pull out of this, you're going to have to make some changes. First, you're going to have to tell your wife to start fixing you three well-bounced, nutritious meals each day. Then you're going to have to quit working so many hours. That will mean you'll make less money, so you and your wife are going to have to come up with a budget, and you're going to have to stick to it. There's another thing the doctor told him. When you get home from work, tell your family, your wife and your kids, that you need to come home and to relax. Don't come to you with all these pressing issues because you need to relax after work. And the doctor told him that I know these are drastic changes. But unless you do them, you probably will not last a month. Now, this man was quite smart, and he knew that he couldn't go home and tell his wife this. So he asked the doctor, you know, it would sound more official if you would call her and tell her that all this came from you. Well, the doctor agreed that would be best. So later that afternoon, the man got home. His wife came up crying, just almost to the point of bawling, and she wraps her arms around him and hugs him. Now, being the concerned husband that he was, looked at her and said, Honey, what's wrong? Through her tears, she looked up up at him and said, I've talked to the doctor, and after talking to him, I know you only have 30 more days to live. It's okay, you can laugh. (laughs) See, the man had a problem. He obviously had some lifestyle issues that were killing him. And the only way to stop that from happening is that he would have to make some changes. But as people, let's include us in this, we don't like change, do we? Put it to you this way. It's easy to look around and see all the things that are messed up. We live in a cursed and fallen world, and it's easy to see. Therefore, it's easy for us to see there's a need for change. But what makes that difficult is when that change involves you and I changing as well. For example, for this man's life, we can see the changes that needed to happen. And I'm sure his wife and his family knew about it as well. But when those things became personal, well, let's just face it, that's a little too hard to deal with, isn't it? We, we can very easily see the need for change, but within ourselves we have this tremendous resistance to change. We like our routine. We like our comfort zone. We've been doing the same thing over and over again. We're, we're comfortable with it. We don't want to change, no matter what the consequences are. It will always be that way. Please hear me. It will always be that way unless our motivation to change overrides our desire for comfort. 
And in our passage, we see the remnant saw the extent, the nature and consequence of their sin. We talked about that last week. But as we said then, as we continue to say, it's easy to see the problem. For example, it's easy to see the lack of passion for the lost. It's easy to see the need for outreach. What is hard is getting motivated to do something about it. And that's what happens in our passage. Ezra leads the remnant in getting motivated for change. To change from the sin they've been comfortable with for so long. To change to be the humble, the pure, and change lives that God would use to accomplish His work that He had for them. So how do you and I become motivated for change? Well, the same way Ezra and the remnant did. We become motivated to change by looking in three directions. Outward, upward, and inward. Now let's look at our text this morning. Chapter 9, verse 3. He just learned about the sin, and Ezra responds with this in verse 3. When I heard about this matter, I tore my garment and my robe and pulled some of the hair out from my head and my beard and sat down appalled. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel on the account of the unfaithfulness of the exiles gathered to me, and I sat appalled until the evening offering. But at the evening offering, I rose from my humiliation, even with my garment and my robe torn, and I fell on my knees, stretched out my hands to the Lord my God. The next week we'll continue on with the prayer, but we're looking how he gets them motivated for change. Well, first of all, we get motivated to change by looking outward. We see that in verse 3. And that goes back to what Ezra learned about from the leaders. That they had blatantly disregarded the word of God. That they had intermarried with the pagan nations around them. And by doing so, they're starting down that same slippery slope that produced the same predicament they're there in the first place. I mean, let's go back to the beginning of all this. How they end up in exile. They just obey God. So they're going down the same slope that they went down before. And when Ezra heard that news, it devastated him. He was able to see the big picture. He saw the severity of the situation as he looked outward at the sin around him. And because of his consistent study of God's Word, he knew how serious the situation was. Ezra knew if this sin was left unchecked, there would lead to the Jews allowing foreign gods into their houses. And after the foreign gods got into their houses, it would get in their hearts. And once those foreign gods took place, their heart took place in their heart, then it went to the public square. And it was only a matter of time before now you had pagan god worship going on in the temple. And if you go back to the time of Solomon, that's the very thing that happened that caused Assyria to destroy Samaria, the northern kingdom, and then later Babylon to destroy Jerusalem. Ezra knew his history. This had happened before. And he knew about how serious this situation was. As he looked out and saw it around him, it motivated him. Look what he does. He expresses his grief and sadness in the most vivid way possible. I was reading out of the New American Standard. It said he sat down appalled. 
Now, interesting, that word translated from Hebrew, appalled, is the same word you find in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 20. It's used to describe how Tamar felt when she was raped by her brother Ammon. And she was hid in isolation by her other brother Absalom, told to keep quiet about it. And the scripture says she was desolate at Absalom's house. That same horrible, astonished, hollow, empty, desolate feeling is what Ezra felt when he looked outward at the situation around him. How do you feel when you look outward? We have this great thing called TV. Perhaps you have one. Have you watched the news recently? Do you feel appalled of what you see taking place, not just around the world, but here in our own nation? Do you see how serious the situation is around you? How does that make you feel? We'll be able to go home this afternoon, eat lunch and watch TV, maybe do some reading, and go to bed like normal, and tomorrow we'll get up and go on with our normal routine. Why is it, and this is a question for myself I've been wrestling with, why is it, dear brothers and sisters, we don't find ourselves appalled at the situation we see ourselves in? Why do we never see ourselves that way, appalled? So overcome by the severity of the situation around us, there is nothing we can do but just fall down in grief and mourning. As Brother Charlie said just a few moments ago, literally, what before God? God, I don't have the answer. I don't know what to do, God, but I need your help. We need your help. Why don't we find ourselves at that point? Could it be that we really don't recognize how bad it is? Could it be that we don't hate sin like we think we do? Or could it be we don't really love people like we say we do? (laughs) Because when we truly look outward through the lens of God's Word, not only are we motivated to change by looking outward through the lens of God's Word, but we're also motivated to change by looking upward in verse 4. Picture Ezra. Feeling desolate. He sat before God. He sat before all the people. Caused the people to feel the same way about their sin as he did. Now think of three ways he could have handled this. First, when the leadership came to him, the princess came to him, he could have handled it like a cheerleader. In other words, he knew what the mission was. So he could have done the American thing, the American pragmatic thing, and said, we're not going to let anything get in the way of our success We're going to press on just like nothing is wrong. Or perhaps you could have handled it like a taskmaster. Pulled out the verbal whip to them and said, you people are a bunch of worthless, good-for-nothing sinners. It's your fault. You'll never amount to anything. Or maybe even a dictator says, here's a list of stuff you have to fix and don't talk to me till you're done. He could have handled it like the people sinned, like a cheerleader ignored it or taskmaster, and whipped them for it. But he didn't handle that way, did he? He handled it like a pastor 
See, the cheerleader and taskmaster are only looking at the same thing. They're really only looking at the they really are looking at the same thing. One motivates the people, looks at their emotions and gives false hope, while the other one looks at their guilt and gives them added fear. That's what a leader does when only he looks at the people as a motivation for change. But he didn't do that. He wasn't looking at the people for motivation to change. He looked upward. And when he looked upward, the people began to look upward as well. He sat there grieving, mourning for the people's sin before the Lord, and all of a sudden people were drawn to Ezra. Look what the text says. People gathered around him. They were looking at the Word of God. And as they looked, they trembled. They were awestruck and shaken to their very core. And you know, the Word of God can do that. The Word of God can shake even the whole heart. Excuse me, the hardest, coldest heart to the core. It has the power to motivate even the coldest, lifeless Christian to change and bend himself or herself to God's will. So we're motivated to change by looking outward, the seriousness of the situation. We're motivated by change by looking upward at the Word of God. And here's probably the worst, or the, I say the worst, but the hardest one of all. We are motivated to change by looking inward. Ezra felt the incredible heaviness as he looked toward, excuse me, as he looked outward and upward. It drove him to the only place a person can go when he or she feels the tremendous burden that God has called us to feel as his people. It drove Ezra inward. Now, when he looked inward, he didn't go to a place of selfishness. He wasn't trying to get up his self-confidence or trying to boost his self-esteem. He wasn't interested in pop psychology. He was not interested in 21st century psychobabble. But when he looked inside, he fell to his knees in a position of ultimate humility. He spread his hands in a position of ultimate surrender, and he said, I can't do it in of myself. I cannot change a thing. In of ourselves, these people can't change a thing, but the Lord my God can change it all. And think about that. I'm only, you know, that position. If you're down on your knees, that's an act of submission, right? Imagine doing this. When you turn your hands up like that, you're saying, there's nothing I can do. God, there's nothing. Here it all is. I I cry out to you. My problem is, and perhaps your problem is too, a lot of times when we see things going on, we think about how we can fix the problem. We use this, we do that. Perhaps one thing COVID has taught us as believers in Jesus Christ is we can't change a thing ourselves. And God is reminding us of that. Calling out to his people, perhaps, look to me. Call on me. Trust me. Perhaps that's what God is telling us all. Don't rely on your programs, your ministries, but rely on me. When we begin to experience the heaviness of the loss of the world around us, when we begin to fall on our knees in humility, when we begin to spread our hands in complete surrender, when we begin to do that, we'll be motivated to change the right way. 
Ezra found himself in a very difficult, hard situation. He knew something had to change. Things had to change. He knew with all this was going to lead. It's no different for us today, is it? We know if this continues on, where's it going to lead to? Well, we know the end of the story, right? We know what's going to happen. Ever read the book of Revelation? There is coming a day that's called the great and terrible day of the Lord. And we know the Bible teaches us if someone dies or that day comes and they don't know Christ, they'll be forever separated from God and they will spend eternity in hell. If that's not bad enough for makes us stop and think about our motives and what we're doing, Think about this one. Jesus said, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, did I do all these things in your name? Prophesy, cast out demons, all these wonderful things that they do. If you go back and look at the gospel, he doesn't deny that they did those things. He says, you never knew me. That means I can be so wrapped up being a pastor and a preacher and a teacher and all these other things. Leading other people to him but not really knowing him myself. That's a very sobering thought. Because it's very easy for me as a preacher and a teacher to look at the Bible as this another textbook. Oh, I have to look at it to build up another sermon for next week and do all the research. And it's very easy for me to forget this is not just an ancient text. This is the Word of God living and active. And before I can think of any of you, I have to let God speak to me. God, what are you teaching me through this passage? And see, it can't be do what I do what I say and not do what I do. I have to live it out. I have to practice. You've heard this many times. Practice what you preach. We can look around us and see the things we know that need to be changed. We see family and friends who have strayed from the Lord. Perhaps someone professed faith in Christ, but now they're living a life that doesn't show any spiritual fruit at all, and you're concerned about them. Maybe you know some friends like that. We see neighbors who have no interest in the things of the Lord. We have young people who are turning to paganism and witchcraft. We see church attendance dropping in most places. And most places where it's dropping, the emphasis is more entertainment than the Bible. It's easy to see the need for change out there. But how about the change in here? And let's be more specific. How about the change that needs to happen in here? I heard a song one time talking about this person's heart. And don't get mad at me for this. In our house, we, we keep a clean house. But there's always that run room that you just kind of throw stuff in. You guys got it. Or perhaps you have a garage or a shed. So when people come over, we shut that door. <laughs> don't let them go in there. <laughs> Don't let them go in our bedroom and have clothes there. You know, there's certain places we don't want company to go, right? 
Oh, we say to our company, oh, please excuse our mess. We're trying to put our best foot forward is my point, right? But take that same thought process and apply it to our heart. When I come before God, do I do the same thing with my heart? Oh, God, it's too messy in there. Don't go in there. Oh, no, God, don't worry about this over here. Look how beautiful it is right here. And the whole time, the Holy Spirit of God is convicting me. Open up that other door, Tim. You can't change it yourself, Tim. Only I have the power to change that. Only I can clean up that mess. See, the Lord will not change out there until he changes in here. And he will not change in here until he changes your heart and my heart. Do you remember science class? You ever heard of Newton? The guy who talked about gravity? Do you remember Newton's law of motion? He said, this is his law of motion, he said, quote, everything continues in a state of rest until it's compelled to change by forces impressed upon it, end of quote. Many of us, including myself, have been in a state of rest for too long. I'm just thinking out loud. We talk about spiritual battles, and there's spiritual battle raging around us. Now, the war has been won with the cross of Christ, but there's battles all around us. We see it all around. But, you know, I think the greatest battle takes place on Sunday or any time the Word of God. Let me, let me correct that. Any time the Word of God is spoken out or the gospel is shared, the greatest battle begins when it's time to make a response. You ever seen those old cartoons, the devil on one show, the angel on the other? You have that conversation going on, and you start making excuses, don't we? Well, if I go down there and start praying, everybody's going to think I've done something bad for the week. You start making excuses. God help us. We're too stubborn to change. We're too prideful to just let it all go. Are you compelled to change? Are you compelled by the severity of the situation? Go home. Turn on TV. Listen to the radio. Read the newspaper. Ladies and gentlemen, our country's in serious trouble. Our world is in serious trouble. We've lived a good life for so long. We have been blessed by God for so long, we end up cussing the very one who gave us all those blessings to begin with. We have brothers and sisters around the world who are in prison and losing their life for one page of Scripture, and yet we have tons of translations. And most of them serve as a paperweight collecting dust, never opened or read. Are you compelled by the power of God's Word? Maybe that's why we don't read God's Word as much as we should. Because when I read God's Word, am I studying or just reading for my own edification? I always have a range of, of things that happen. First of me, there's, there's places in Scripture I want to jump up and down and run around the house. Yeah, woo yeah, that's true. But there's also places in Scripture where God starts to deal with me. It's not much fun. And I will tell you this from my personal experience. The place that you find the most tension 
and the most conflict, the most difficult, is because we haven't let that go and given it to God. One illustration I will use for that is one thing I've learned, and some of you are going to laugh at me for this, but being a dad is not easy. The hardest thing for me to do as their father, you know, when they're real little, you want to protect them and dress them. And, you know, our first child, if something happened, we were right there, you know, really extra, almost too cautious. And the time Madeline came around, eh, who cares, she'll learn. No, <laughs> we did take care of her. But then as they grow up, and we taught them, you have to let them go. And trust God, they're going to, I'm trusting you, God. We've taught them your word. They know who you are. And to let go and say, you know what? They weren't my daughters in the first place. God, you allowed me to be their dad. You allowed me to be their dad. But now I have to let go and place them in your arms. That's hard. Do you know why? Because I like to be in control. Don't you? We want our control. I want to be in control of everything. But how much control do we really have? I live in Bellevue. We have a storm shelter. We like to be in control, but let that storm siren sound off, but we start running like a bunch of crazy people. Some people run you over and push you out of the way to get storm shelter. I'm not going to mention any names. But my point being, how much control do we really have? Are you compelled to change by your personal relationship with the Lord as you look inward? And that's only something you can answer. Look at the example of Ezra. How devastated he was when he saw this going on. After all they've been through, and they still do the same thing. And we look at the Old Testament with kind of judgmental eyes. I can't believe Israel's doing this again. If you look at the Old Testament this way, they're worth God, everything's great. Then they start to fall away from God, doing all jealousy and all sorts of things. Then up down here, they hit rock bottom, they cry out for God for repentance, and they had a revival, and now they're back up with God. And just a few chapters later, here we go again. That same vicious circle. And you know what? We're, we're the same way. We like to talk to Asian people who aren't that smart, but we're not much better than they are because we still wrestle with the same very things. Selfishness. Fear, you name it. Today is the day we need to start to get motivated to change. The Lord will change this world around us. He will do it through us. And He will only do it through us when we're ready to allow Him to change us. As we look outward, upward, and inward. So if, you've never heard any, if you haven't heard anything else this morning, this is the challenge of this text. Do you want to see things change? Do you want to see more people come to Christ? Do you want to see more lives radically changed? Relationships healed? I'm talking about stuff you just can't explain away by some cycle babble. I'm talking real heart change. See, our society thinks if you tear down statues and burn flags, it's going to change people's hearts. No, it's not. I don't agree with them, do, with them doing that, but don't misunderstand me. But that doesn't change people's hearts. Laws can't change people's hearts. God did that with his Ten Commandments. And then Jesus said, boil them down to two, and we can't keep those two. But if we really see change, 
then we need to let go, I need to let go, and allow God to change me. To start out of my comfort zone. And we have to do it this way. I'm going to end with this. That's my, sorry, just leave it going. It's my iPad. Maybe God wants us to be playing at this time. We had a, a professor named Dr. Moldovan. He grew up in Romania under the uh, communist wall. He told us something very interesting in class one day. I was taking a class called Martyrdom Missions in Seminary. And he said, Americans are too comfortable. Turn that off. <laughs> Technology. Anyway, he was telling us a story, and he, he, he said, you, you're too nice with it. You tell people, I don't want, I don't want to uh, uh, take up your time. I don't want to offend you, but I want to tell you about the gospel. If you want to hear it, that's okay. And we're too timid about it. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't present it in love. But he was making a point to us as students. The enemy's out there. He doesn't care. That message is being out there. People are doing all sorts of things to escape the pain. Weird things, bad things, terrible things. We have the answer. As was said this morning, we know the truth. And we are commissioned to go out and take that truth out there. But until we can take the truth out there, the truth has to make a change in here. Radical change. Dilate everything down and say, God, here it is. And God's right now calling you to do some radical things. Calling you to step out of your comfort zone. I say it once, I'll say it a hundred times. God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. He's just waiting for you and I to say, you know what, I'm tired, I can't do this. God, whatever you want, you got it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of your son. And Father, I pray the ones hearing this message from your word, dear God, that we will surrender. Everything that we have, even our very own lives, as a believer, dear God, we, are, we have been bought with a price, the precious blood of your Son. And Father, we desire to see change. And Father, we acknowledge and confess that we resist it. And Father, we, we cry out to do, do a change in us, in our hearts, in the life of this church. That we make it that where we can impact our community, our state, our nation, and the world for the cause of Christ. Continue to speak to us, O oh God. Continue to mold us and to shape us 
into the men and women you've called us to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.